Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Today's guest is the world's favorite 10-year-old boy, Nancy Cartwright. Yes, she is the ultimate Simpsons insider who gives voice to the boy immediately recognizable as none other than Bart Simpson. I'm so looking forward to this interview as we are not only going to discuss her memoir, I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy, an audiobook that she narrates herself, how cool is that, where she traces Bart's rise to wild popularity, but we're going to dive into my favorite chapter, number 28, Six Salient Steps to Successful Survival, and as she'll challenge you, say that six times in a row, as these really tie in perfectly with writers and illustrators of the future. Welcome, Nancy. <laughs> Hi, John. I am so excited about this. I can't believe it. Well, I'm so impressed that you got that out, that last thing, that little tongue twister. <laughs> that was amazing. Well done. I've been drilling all morning. Okay. <laughs> Murder's outed. So, um... <laughs> Uh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I guess the first thing, because this whole subject of, of you being on the uh, podcast came up at the Rise of Future Awards ceremony that we had um, earlier in April. So what about that moved you the most? Well, I have been, I have been going to that ceremony. Um, a couple of times I went without participating, but I really love it the most when I get to participate. I feel very involved with it and very connected. And I just, I love that aspect of it, um, the opportunity, because it's like sitting in that audience and listening to all the award winners, whether they're a writer or an illustrator, doesn't matter. The thing that really hits me, like at the core of my beingness, is they're, they're just, they're so, they're not Hollywood. They're just like, <laughs> they're just like real people and from all around the world, and they come in and... They get, they get quite an education, I understand, and then um, they get all kinds of um, lessons from professionals in the industry. Then when they've come to receive their award, they, you know, they speak from their heart. They get to give a little speech. It's, it's like not any other award ceremony, the Oscars, the Tonys, the Emmys, the, you know, the Annies. That's animation um, award, but you get to you get to say a little something, and it's so touching what they say. And some of them are so nervous; you can see their hands shaking, and you know they've never really been acknowledged before for the great works that they've done. It's the first time they're being published, and they've flown in from Russia or from Australia or wherever they've come from, and all expenses paid. And I think, it, I think the um, foundation itself takes care of them at, at a hotel in Hollywood, and they're really taken care of and treated like the artists that they are. And I just love, love that. That's great. And that, that's so true. That's, Mr. Hubbard created this contest back in 1983, and he endowed it then, and it's continued uh, even after his passing in 1986 to... Um, basically to pop into perpetuity. So now you're an artist and you're like a very celebrated artist, but what do you see as the value of the arts to society, whether it's writing or illustration? And we'll get into um, voice as well in a little bit. Right. This is one of my most favorite things to be able to talk about. It's because it's along my purpose line and I write and I paint and I sculpt and 
perform one woman shows and act and I spin a lot of plates. But I think starting from a very young age, I realized that I had all these abilities. I didn't really recognize for myself that that I was an artist because I was also a gymnast and I was in the marching band and played the trumpet rather poorly. Um, I was kind of mediocre, <laughs> <laughs> mediocre at the trumpet, but <laughs> but being in the marching band, that's where Eat My Shorts came from, and I can talk about that's definitely in the book. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing about being an artist is, is that you know, just in general, being an artist is like people look up to artists because the works themselves, whether it's dance or singing or a film that you're watching, um, a television series. We're inspired by what it is that we see, and we're moved mm-hmm. by that. It, it just, for me, it, it just, it hits the core of who I am when I'm looking at a great piece of art, no matter what form it is in. So I take it rather seriously. I'm not a very serious person, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I take my hat as an artist very seriously, and I know that people look towards me to find out what I'm saying and... You know, and if I'm an opinion leader for people out there, it, that's not my. I would like to affect change in people, so I guess it 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 is one of my main goals is that I want to put out the idea in in our society that people can change, and it's mm-hmm. the artist that really makes the difference on the planet. And it's the artist that can lift our culture up and give people hope in what it is that they do and who they are. And so when you look at stuff that's going on on television and there's so much, there's so much content there that it takes a little bit of effort to find something that is inspiring. You know, you, you have, it's, it's, it's challenging today, but nonetheless, that's the whole idea behind it is that that's the purpose of my idea of the purpose of what an, what an artist is for sure. Yeah, and that's the same thing that Mr. Hubbard had too. Was it inju- the artist injects the spirit of life into a into a society, into a culture, and it's so true. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So now you created an audiobook, and I love that audiobook. What I really love about it is the fact that it's your voice doing it. So it just adds that much more to it of your story, your personal journey. So, what was the inspiration to do it as an audiobook? Were you I, I'm assuming you are the, the author, the director, the producer, the, all the different hats that were being worn on creating that. So how did that come about as an audiobook? Well, actually, it started way back in about 1990, 98, late 98, 99. I would just get letters, fan letters from people, and they just kept asking me the same questions over and over again. Who's your favorite character? What's your favorite episode? How did you get to be Bart Simpson? What's it like working with the other actors on the show? Do you ever get to work with celebrities? Things like that. And and I'm like, wow, I think it's like fans of the show actually made it so that I felt like the demand is there. They want it. Mm-hmm. They, they want to know more. So I thought, God, I'm going to do a book. So... um I got a book, I got a publisher, and I just started writing it. And I got to tell you, I had never written, I'd never written anything before. And I didn't know how I was going to do this. So there was a fellow that was working with me at the time, and he was a writer. Um, he, I don't know that he's had 
I think he might have had one or two things published, but small publications. But mm-hmm. regardless, his guidance to me was just enough to give me the impetus to continue. And what he did was he inter- he started to interview me, and he started just asking me these questions. And then from that, I got the recording, and I listened to it again later on. And then I just started um, writing from my own viewpoint because this is about my life. It was not that hard to do because I'm just writing about what I know. And -hmm. I think that's a good thing. You write about what you know. And whether that's your imagination or it's about real life or a combination thereof, I don't know that it really matters, but you you just write from that passion, from that um, reality. So that's how I did it. And, well, we came up with chapter headings, too. That's another thing that was very significant. Those are cool. That was really easy to do. (laughs) I mean, for me, because I just, I, I, I caught on really quick. And then he started to qualify. He started to like edit it for me. He would read it and he would make me notes. He would ask me questions. Could you, or he would just say, go into more detail here. Don't be afraid to take your time and just, you know, describe the room. Tell me what it was like when you were driving in the car on the way to the audition. You know, what music were you listening to? Things like that. And I caught on within a couple of chapters. I caught on real quick and then I was on my own and I just started to do it. Um, it was so fun. It was super, super fun. You mentioned your, your, Chapter titles is chapter one, eat my shorts. <laughs> then chapter two, wing it and Dayton. Then paying my dues, just another job. Hey, we're recording up here. Some enchanted beginning and on and on and on. They're just, it's, it was so much fun to listen to. <laughs> oh, and you're so real. It, it's so like, ah, that's Nancy slash Bart <laughs> slash Nancy. <laughs> Well, back in, so that was in 99, and I, I think I got, I think I got a contract in early 99. I wrote it in, gosh, probably seven months or something like that. And um, then it went to the publisher, and I didn't have a lot of time. I mean, it just kind of made a couple of rewrites. I felt like the publisher, for me, she didn't know enough about animation. That was a little bit tough. And then she ended up leaving that that publishing age, uh, house. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like I was on my own, but I was okay with that. I was really okay with that because I I knew what I was. I felt like I knew what I was doing. So that's how I did it. And then the book came out. That was a book that came out in two thousand called My Life as a Ten Year Old Boy. So that got published. It's not a, it's not in print anymore. I mean, you you you'd be hard pressed to find it, but it doesn't matter because twenty years later. So many more things happened. We got a star in Hollywood Boulevard. We, we performed at the Hollywood Bowl. My kids grew up. I became a grandmother. Uh, I did a one-woman show. I produced a film, um, did some sculpting, did some paint. I mean, there was a lot more to talk about, not just about The Simpsons, but m- a continuation of my life. And this mm-hmm. one's called I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy. Because I am. We're still doing the show here in 2022. We're still doing the show. So I still feel it's very topical, and it's just we're on our third generation for crying out loud. It's crazy. It's very crazy on that crazy good, obviously. Yeah. That um, you've got, I mean, you've got multiple generations. You've got grandparents saying, "Oh, I love you," and then you've got the kids, <laughs> and you got the grandkids. Yeah. It's amazing how, like, you know, it's just probably the only show out there where 
there's a constant, you know, Bart is a constant. He's always, he's perennially 10 years old. So yeah, well, you always hit those 10 year olds. Well, that's the thing about animation, John. I mean, it's just like, you can set it. The Simpsons have gone into the future. We've gone back to Bible stories was an episode that we did. It takes you back. We, um, Bart's been a zygote. Okay. I'm just saying yeah. you okay. can place the Simpsons anywhere and it's whatever the imagination of the writers, the reality of the writers comes up with. And, um, yeah, so that's the cool thing. And uh, I still am a 10-year-old boy, man. Okay, good. So now you've got this, this two chapters you've got in there. One is uh, chapter 25, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Then chapter 26, I'm Nancy Cartwright. Who the hell am I? Do you ever have any um, identity crises? <laughs> 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 you know, uh, there was one episode that I did where I had to do, I think it was called The Ten Commandments. I, I think that's what it was called. I could be wrong. But um, I played like four or five characters. And I, I used a highlighter, different color, orange, green, yellow, and blue to highlight the different characters, the different, because I was literally having a dialogue with myself. And that was like, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. So you hear me talking like Bart Simpson, talking like Nelson Munch, talking like this is Ralph Wiggum and, t- <laughs> and Chucky from the Rugrats. No, <laughs> <laughs> no he, he wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah, um, but that was, when you're talking identity crisis, my head was, by the end, I was like, I was so nervous doing that. And I remember at the table read, I finished that chapter and the, the table just burst into applause. I was, and that, that threw me even more. That was, Julie Kavner was so, oh, Nance, that was really good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So now on the, um, like I mentioned earlier, I've got a favorite chapter, which is 28, The Six Salient Steps to Successful Survival. So I'd like to discuss each of the six steps. So step number one, do what you love. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, this for me, this was super, this is kind of a number one. It's like, it's got to be your passion. It's about the passion, people. You know, it, it really is. And when I first started out, I, I, I just started to do things that I loved. I was a gymnast. I did theater. I played the trumpet. And I sought out opportunities to do all those things. And mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking at age, you know, 10 years old or whatever that that I was going to be be working with the number one animated show on the planet. I just knew that I liked to tell stories and tell jokes, and I did sound effects, and people laughed. So that felt great. So I continued to, like, seek out opportunities so that I could do that. So that I got involved in children's theater and then junior high and, and, and did some plays in high school and got on the speech team. And like I said, the gymnastics and all that stuff came in, too. Your public that's listening to this, hi, you guys. Um, I just want to <laughs> say that there's, I'm, there are, I'm sure most of you are writers and or illustrators. And, right. you know, not everybody gets paid for what it is that they do for a living. But you should at least still seek out a venue so that you can express yourself as an artist. I didn't do it for the paycheck. I've never done it for the paycheck. I always just did it because I liked it. 
And I was, you know, I was inspired by that. And it's, it just intrigued me as to making people laugh and, and coming up with funny characters. So it was all so about... So one thing I want to interject in there too, just from, yeah. from having listened to that, the amount of work and dedication to this, though, to this, to this craft can't be understated enough. Like you, yeah. you've done what you love, but you've, I guess we're going into the next, next step of that chapter, um, be a professional. Because you you like consummate on the subject of what you're doing here. Yeah. I think that's like a, that, I mean, that's, man, you wouldn't be where you are if you weren't a professional in every aspect of what you're doing there. Right. Which very much applies to any writer or aspiring artist. Well, you totally touched on something that is very real to me, and that is that, like, you listen to how I sound right now, my confidence level. This is not something that happened from the very beginning. This was something that with, much practice and wins and losses. It's studying tapes and working on characters and developing new ones and, you know, going through hundreds and hundreds of auditions and lots of rejection. You know, there is, there, there is rejection and that doesn't feel good. Um, I, uh, but, but I just, I just persisted and I, I didn't have a book or a guide to show me what to do. I kind of had to, this was kind of, I was steering my own ship, so to speak, which we all do anyway, making choices. And we'll, we'll bring up that in a little bit, but you just, you just have to be prepared. And it's all about, you know, studying and being willing to put in the time that it takes as a professional. You know, it doesn't really matter what field you're in, but one thing that I learned is as a professional, no matter what, um, what's needed or wanted, but it's more important that a professional is prepared. A professional is ready when something comes up. He's the one who gets it done and gets it done better than somebody else because he knows what he's doing. Right. It's showing up not just on time, but showing up early. You know, it's making sure that, the, that whoever you're working for, that they got what they wanted from you. You know, Good. it's not just yeah. me going, I, as soon as I, the quicker I'm out of here, I'll get my paycheck. No, it's like, do the job, deliver the goods, you know, make sure that the, the producer's happy with what you have and what you've done. Which is awesome. And it absolutely applies to an artist, illustrator, writer, with whatever you're doing there. It's like that. Oh, I can imagine. I, I can, oh, sorry. I, I can only imagine the amount of rejections it takes. You know how yeah. many um, rejection slips, thank you so much, we really, really liked it, but it's not quite what we're looking for. And it's devastating. And anytime you get rejected, it feels bad. But those are the hard, hard knocks. And it's sort of like you keep on doing that. You m consider what somebody said. If it's constructive, if, they're, if, if they even took the time to give you notes, which I don't know that most people, I, don't, I doubt that would ever happen, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's nobody makes it overnight. That's um, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is, and it's yeah, it is just it's a really important thing that people have that idea of, like you said, doing what you love, being a professional. Now, your step three is find a mentor. Yeah, yeah. Now, in this day and age, that that could be a little bit challenging. It seemed like maybe it was a couple decades ago that finding a mentor was kind of an easy thing to do. But our lifestyle today is not so much like, like it was when, when I was starting out. Well, I mean, this was in the late seventies, man. It's like, I, Bart Simpson is a grandmother. I know that blows people away. 
That's really weird to even have it in the same sentence. But um, but I am, and uh, at the time, it kind of, and, and hey, listen, don't get me wrong. It is absolutely the thing that you should still pursue. And if it means even just admiring somebody and for who they are and for what they represent, and you like this body of work, and you you see this person on Zoom, you know, if there's um, conventions or if there's some kind of a seminar that you can hear somebody, um, if you can get a personal line in with that person, that would be ding, 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 you know, you won the lottery. That would be incredible. But, you, you know, I... I touch on this chapter in my book, and I again, it's sort of like it's such a different time period that we have right now, but you've got these influencers that are on the internet, mm-hmm. these these individuals that um, have got millions and millions of followers, and not all of them are taking advantage of the fact that that so many people... I'm not sure how to say this. It kind of depends on what their purpose is. If their purpose is just to have a lot of fans and become popular, that's that's not really what I I am interested in. And that's not what we're about here on this on this podcast or with writers and illustrators of the future. Yeah, okay. That's not what we're doing. So we're so, good, so we're on the same yeah, page here. We're on the same here. page, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the 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 real the real winners are the guys that are to me, that can make a difference through their art. It's what I what I had mentioned earlier, and some of them are influencers. But if you find someone that you really believe in who they are and what their messages are, f- support them, tweet about them, let people know, and you know, get the word out that you saw this amazing art exhibition or you read this incredible novel and you found this great writer and you love his or her works and you buy that and you, you know, you start to become a fan and then you start to kind of, you, you promote that person because without talking about it, how are people going to find out? Right. You know, and again, a lot of these, a lot of these writers, the, the writers and illustrators that won this contest over the years, you know, their stories and their artwork are very impinging. They're not just saying, they're, they're actually saying something that makes sense, that can make you think about what they just wrote about, that can change your viewpoint. Like you had an idea and then you realize in listening, wow, that is such a better idea about how the planet is or or this guy who was such a jerk and now he's turned into this other person because this happened. So you can be influenced by, you know, by these artists. So Yeah, and one thing too about that is specific on writers and illustrators of the future, the way it's been set up, our judges have actually taken on that hat or that role of mentor to many of the winners. So just as they were mentored by the judges, um, like at the very get-go, 38 years ago now. So yeah. move incredible. over, Bart. It's <laughs> you <know>? incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> you know? It's like passing the baton then. Because it some totally of the, is that. Correct me, but I mean, some of the writers, they've gone on to do like some really great things. Some major great things. And a lot of the, the winners from earlier on are now judges. It's beautiful. Doing the same thing to pay it forward. And they, they want to be able to take up and give, you know, give a helping hand to that aspiring writer or artist and, and help them with connections. Or here you go. We have, I think we had eight 
contracts sold within the first week after the after this awards event you just attended, and we had um, the uh, uh, our, one of our artists got three contracts right. You know, it was oh, just wow. like because of people wanting to help and lend a helping hand to the to the winners. So it's it's a, it's amazing um, just how much it's actually done and continues to do to help the aspiring right. writer and artist because that's the whole purpose of it. it. Isn't just like okay, now you're published. It actually, if a person's sincere and, and interested, like you were when you got involved in, in your voice work, yeah, you know, and like to, to talk about that too, you had a specific mentor that was, it's just an amazing story, you know? Yeah. How, can you yeah, talk Do- about it a little bit? Sure. Uh, Dawes Butler, people, he's not a household name. A household m- name might be Mel Blank. People, everybody knew who Mel Blank was because he was the first voice character, voice actor that got credit on the cartoons that I grew up with, which was, he was on, um, he did Bugs Bunny and, uh, and Tweety Bird. And he also was on the Jetsons and he got, got credit for that voice characterizations by Mel Blanc. He was the only one, even though a fellow by the name of Dawes Butler did just as many voices as Mel Blanc did. And June Foray, who did a lot of the female voices, no credit, which was, that was the way it was. This was a a developing, um, this was just a developing career. Um, so years went by and long story short, I end up hooking up with Dawes Butler, hooking, hooking up professionally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote it, I, I left a message on his phone. He called me back. Next thing you know, he's sending me scripts and I'm recording my voice on cassette and that's all, that's all, that's all in my book. But I do, I do want to mention that it's got little clips of Dawes talking to teenage Nancy Cartwright. And I've got clips of me talking back to him. It's like I've, his family, they've been so generous with me. They gave me a lot of things, you know, that they knew that I would so appreciate. And some of them were the tapes. He's, they sent me back the tapes that I sent him. So I got to wow, use those yeah. tapes. Those anyway, are really that was, great tapes, yes. Oh, thanks. Thanks. And you know what? You're talking about this chapter about mentoring. I, it's, it's such an f- interesting time right now. I, I tried to teach. At one time, I tried to teach, and I never really considered that part of my hat. I was never very good at it. I tried one time to teach some weekend thing, and I was exhausted. At, at the <laughs> very end, I put on a, a demo tape of some really funny Simpsons clips and some of the works that I've done. I went behind them and leaned up against the wall. I fell asleep. I was so tired, and I woke up to their applause, and it was kind of weird. Well, that was it. I, I go, I'm not teaching anymore. I can't. I just can't do this. But then in early 2020... I got a call from Masterclass, and they asked me if I would be interested in doing a Masterclass on voiceovers, and that's an app that you can get. It's a subscription positioned with a lot of professionals. There are incredible mm-hmm. writers on there. There's Aaron Sorkin is on there. and Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, yeah. And there's also photographers. Um, Amy Leibowitz is on there, and... Just no, it's amazing. It's a, it's a who's who of, of professionals on, on that. Yeah, Tony sure. Hawk teaching teaching skateboarding, and there's cooking classes and gardening and everything. And so I did this during COVID. And if, you know, in terms of teaching and me mentoring, I've had people that have wanted me to mentor them. And I've, I, I used to give little tips and like have them come over and let's just do lunch and you can ask me any questions you want. But that kind of handled it for me by just doing this master class. Mm-hmm. 
That's good. Yeah, we, we also created this uh, free online writing workshop where we had Orson Scott Card, Tim Powers, and Dave Farland record videos that is free to anybody. We've got over 6,000 people that have, have signed up and are taking it wow. on writing short stories. It's been very, very successful. And, that's uh, but perfect. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose of Writers and Illustrators of the Future is to provide that leg up for the aspiring writer and artist wherever they are. And we've got people that have entered the contest now from over 175 countries. We get thousands of entries every quarter. And when they hear this interview with yourself, it's going to, it's that extra little, it's that exchange, you know, above and beyond. It's not just a writing competition that was created. We really are sincere about following Mr. Hubbard's initial intention for this contest. So let me ask you, do the, do the short stories, are they science fiction or they can be any kind of a short story? It's science fiction. It's called the, the, the uh, fantasy, the science fiction, alternate history, just any type of fantastical or science fiction type element makes it work. So if it's just strictly mystery or uh, thriller, that's not, unless it's got a right. real speculative fiction, speculative element to it, it won't qualify for this. And we also, it's important too, it's got to be PG with our right. stories because right. they're elementary, there's for middle school lineup, so they're made for that too. Didn't, did Mr. Hubbard have a, like, wasn't there a special relationship that he had with Ray Bradbury? Yeah, well, there was an, an actual fact, if you dig into it, there's, he had special relationships with so many yeah. of the major authors. One of his books that he wrote called Fear uh, was very inspirational for Ray Bradbury. And Ray Bradbury actually took it and he turned it into a radio theater script that they recorded. He wrote a whole letter to uh, to Mr. Hubbard about that. He said, wow. I lost it long since, but it was this is it was this was amazing. So we got the letter that he sent wow. to uh, to Mr. Hubbard. But yeah, it's about like, what year was that? Did you know, sorry to put you on the spot, do you, was it in the 70s? What is it in the 60s? Uh, ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 I only ask you, but I got to tell you, it's like it, Ray Bradbury, I ran into him in Hollywood. I was doing a reading of something, but way before then, this is when I was in high school, we did a reader's theater production of a short story that he wrote called The Velt. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's sort of like, Modern day, in a way, it's like the Velt was this room that the, it was the nursery. What is so? This is this is the letter that he wrote, uh, dear Elman Hubbard. Just a note to thank you for the flowers at our mental health banquet, and to tell you that when I was twenty years old and your fear was published, I was so impressed by it that I wrote a radio script based on it and got some friends to do some disc readings, recordings of it for my private listening. That's a long time ago, and the disc long since lost, but the memory lingers. That was a lovely piece of writing you did on that. With admiration, additional thanks, yours, Ray Bradbury. Uh, May 28th, 1981. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. I met him in the in the I guess it was probably the late 80s. I think mm -hmm. it was at a, it was at a gosh, I used to read some um there was a readers theater um radio program that I had done and Ray Bradbury was there uh, and I went up to him and introduced myself because it was the first time we met in person. And I told him that we had done a Reader's Theater production of his um, Martian Chronicles mm -hmm. and it ended up winning first place. But listen, it, that kind of writing has always intrigued me. And the fact that people can be taken to different places 
while you're laying in your bed at night, you can be just transported to different universes yeah. in different time zones. And it just like, yeah, it's, it's it, it stirs up all kinds of creativity for pictures when you dream that night. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so now step number four, surround yourself with people who believe in your dreams. Boy, do I totally believe in that. So let's, yeah. let's talk about and how much... It, you know, people, they've heard that before and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But a yeah. little bit how it really is important, especially in, in Hollywood. It, it so gets violated. Oh, it does. It does. You have so many yes men, meaning people that just like will work for celebrities. And they're, I think they're a little bit afraid that if they really tell the truth, that they see something that's wrong, that's that's not okay to do. They see what's happening, but they may be a little bit afraid to speak up. And I'm just stating it's, it's taken me a while, but to find people around you that, that you can trust and that support you in your dreams and are not afraid, but, but say it in a way that is helpful, you mm -hmm. know, that, that doesn't make you feel bad when, when you're finished with the conversation that you feel better, that somebody's actually helped you. To me, it just sort of seems like such an obvious thing now because it's the way that I've that I've operated for a number of years. But people, you, you, sometimes you're not aware um, that somebody is not necessarily totally supporting you. And I have this thing; I, it's like spring cleaning. Of I, once a year, I kind of look at the company <laughs> that I keep, and it may sound silly, but it could be your mom, it could be your dad, your aunt Petunia. It doesn't even matter, and it could even be your boss, but. I use, I use this as a meter when I'm speaking with somebody, how do I feel when I'm walking away from the conversation do I, or hanging up the phone and I'm saying goodbye? Do I feel better or do I feel worse? Because I, if I feel worse, gee whiz, why am I keeping this person in my life? Do they, are they supporting me in my dreams and my wishes or are they always correcting me and telling me I'm never going to make it? And, you, you know, you think you're going to be a writer. Good luck. You know, you don't even live in Hollywood. You don't even have a publisher. You don't even have an agent. You All you keep getting is rejection letters. And your art, by the way, you know how many artists there are in the world? There are gazillions of artists in the world. And you think that you're going to, and it could be something that's really subtle, like, hmm, I think I like the other one better. Yeah. A comment like that, a simple little comment like that can, you know, it, it tends to crush an artist because the artist has put so much time and effort into putting that down black on white or with, you know, Kodachrome or color, you know, as, as <laughs> it paints, all these paints. Um, so I don't know, you got to take, take a good look at the company that you keep and Maybe just Aunt Petunia should just keep planting her own flowers and leave your award-winning roses alone, you know? Exactly. And I think, too, because you see it, I see it more so because I'm right here on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm like a block west of the Chinese Theater. And a lot, of the, a lot of the associates that I have from various events and activities I do, and as do yourself, people have these weird, false ideas of, of how to make it, you know? Yeah. And it's it's less about their talent and their skills and their perseverance and dedication, and more about making that getting that lucky break or getting um, I, I need to put up with this 
agent. I need to put up with this producer. I need to put up with this person that I, I realize I feel like crap every time, but if I don't have him, I'll never get it. You know, that's, I think that's not a good thing to have as a stable datum in life. Well, that's interesting you say that because the next chapter is trust your instincts. And it's like, man, oh man, I'm telling you that little voice inside that's saying, that's saying this doesn't feel right. This isn't right. I don't, I don't, I don't trust this person. I don't, I don't believe him or her. And, you know, they talk so they're not, she's not even really talking to me. She's just talking at me. You know, you know, that feeling when you're, it it could even be somebody on the phone. They're just sort of saying, you know, saying something that a lot of, it's very general, lots of generalizations, not so specific Mm -hmm. to you. And it doesn't make you feel important or special, unique at all. So in that chapter, when it's not that long of a chapter, I just say, trust your instincts because you are right. You're always going to be right, you know, because this is your life and it is about your reality and it's about your understanding, your concept and your sense of feeling about who these people are around you. And I mean, if I trusted, if I didn't trust my instincts regarding the Simpsons, I wouldn't even be talking to you today. I wouldn't be Bart Simpson. I wouldn't have the career that I have. I'm, I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that is a really interesting story of, of actually, because that's a really good story of your exact point there. Of you went, you went in for um, for one, and you did a different part, and it was like, oh man, I never put- would have been cast as Lisa Simpson. No, can you imagine her sounding like this? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I, I just, there was no question about it. So that's what I did. And I don't know. Um, and it worked and that's come in handy so many times. Um, I I mean, there's all kinds of, I I go into more anecdotes in in my book, quite a few of them. And I I, I mentioned a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, some people are going to go at this point and go, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you're already now over the, you've hit the top of the hill. But I think your last step, number six, change is possible. That's maybe the way you present it. Maybe it's the hardest pill to swallow, but it's a vital pill to be able to swallow. Right, right. And that has to do with really, and I had mentioned it earlier about being, you know, steering your own ship. You know, we're kind of all out here in this crazy world. Everybody's just trying to just trying to survive. We're trying to get along. We're trying to um, we're trying to raise. We're trying to buy food. We're trying to buy clothes. We're trying to pay our mortgage or pay pay our rent. We're trying to pay for gas. For crying out loud, it's like re, like crazy ridiculous. But you know, when it all comes down to it, you're the one that's making decisions about you about you and your family. You're the one that decided to wear a blue shirt, you know, and a blue tie with, with, with little stars on it. You know, Mm -hmm. I decided to wear, I'm wearing a t-shirt today that says show more love. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even see it. Epitomize (laughs) that. You epitomize that. (laughs) But it's like, you decide what, you know, you're going to eat for breakfast and all that. So it's your decision. So when, when you, when you're in not a successful relationship, when you are, it, when you're not doing well, you can t- t- change. You could decide, mm-hmm. you know, this is not working for me. This isn't, I've tried so many things and it's just not happening. I'm going to try a different way. I think I'm going to try what my friend said, because that sounded so bizarre, but she, 
that kind of made sense to me. And there's that instinct is that, that, that voice is going, just try it, just try it. It may be a little bit scary to like send off, you know, you've already been rejected four times for the same, 14 times for the same short story. You know what? Keep going. You're not done until somebody, until somebody accepts it. Right. You know, otherwise it's sort of like, it's like giving up. That's right? exactly what it is. Yeah, you, that's exactly you, what it is. And that's not up. what we're about. And that's not what your book's about, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, this, like I said, this is my favorite chapter out of the book. And I mean, I just, it's great listening to you also uh, talk and, and narrate the whole thing because then you get the various, like, it's your personal journey, but it could be anybody's. Yeah. You started off as a little girl. And you had your dreams and you want to try this and you're creative. Okay, so you're definitely had that and you weren't shy. Okay, good. Starting off with that, <laughs> given, <laughs> given that as, as the, as the get-go of, of the story, taken from there, it's just you are a success story. That, But the thing is, if you've got writers and artists, they've already got that creative bug that, that, that's bitten them that they need to now go on with and – some of the things that you encountered and overcame are things that they're running into. And that's why this podcast is so important as, as a tool. This is, I've done, we've been going on for over three years and it just continues to grow and grow. So now we're about a million and a half listens per episode because that's what it's all about. We're not into trying to get somebody all upset or decide to, okay, fine. I, I won't pursue my dream as a, as an artist or as, a, as an author. That's, that's so not what we're about. That's so not what, was, what Mr. Hubbard was about in creating right. this competition so many years ago. So anyway, so that's why I really wanted to urge people also to listen to the audiobook. I'm still a 10-year-old boy. But now we haven't really steered on the direction of, of The Simpsons because that's like a, um, uh, it's a beloved sacred. and prescient, <laughs> sacred, satirical depiction of American life. And so um, you've got the Simpson family that consists of Homer, Marge, Lisa, Maggie, and, of course, you or Bart, whichever. Um, But it continues to offer a biting parody of American culture, society, and television, as well as the human condition itself. And it reminds me a lot of of Mission Earth by L. Ron Hubbard. So it made me wonder, are you familiar with that that book series? Because it's total satire, just like um, Simpsons. You know what you're talking about? The decology. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on three. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm on three right yeah, now. It's just it's chock full. It is like this is a cornucopia of how do you say a, a cornucopia of flavors for for the mind and imagination, and it takes this takes you on this journey about this guy and him traveling and coming to the United States to do like some research, but it's very, to me, it's very modern. Yeah. It's very, very much like today. And it's kind of bizarre in that way. But the, you know, the, the antagonist is hilarious. He's such an idiot. <laughs> he is. How do you say it's his name? Amazing. Greece? Is it Greece? Yeah. Yeah. Officer Greece. And what's amazing on surveys of the, of the readers, the one, the, the character that, that they most identify with isn't yeah. General Heller. It's not Countess Crack. It's Greece. 
Whoa. <laughs> so well, it shows how, how, how actually effective that satire is. So I'm just curious now with, with The Simpsons, um, it is satire. So yeah. is that like why it continues to just survive or? Wow, that's such a great question, John. I, I think, ding, 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 winner, 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 he gets a T-shirt. <laughs> Oh, I've done like hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the you know decades, and it's like nobody's ever talked to me about being a writer, you, you know, about about the writing aspect of The Simpsons, because I'm not known yeah. for that. Even though I did write one episode, I but know anyway. you got to listen to your audiobook, <laughs> and they'll learn all about it. Humble brag. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Who is this Nancy Carly? That chick's so full of herself. Anyway, no, it is. I think that is. I think you nailed it, man. It's a couple of things. I think because it's a family, you you, you got the, the the family unit there. The baby that doesn't talk, and the brother and the sister, uh, mom and dad, and they seem to be perfect, but they're not. They're, they they mess up so much, and um, they may appear to be one way, but they're not. Once you get inside their house, you see all this mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. It's just, I think it's that. And it all gets down to the writing. Truly, it's the writing. And the casting comes in second. The first thing is you got to have the concept. And then mm-hmm. once you have the concept of what the show is, and from what I understand, it's like Jim Brooks, who who is known as crea- the creator for Mary Tyler Moore Show and Rhoda and Taxi. Uh, he went on to do uh, feature films, um, broadcast news, and As Good As It Gets. And he he produced Jerry Maguire. I mean, this guy, he's he's just amazing as, as a writer, producer, director. So he came on board and he had the concept of the three-act sitcom. So when he became a fan of Matt Groening's comic, Life in Hell, he wanted to take that and develop that as these little vignettes. But Mm -hmm. Matt didn't want to sell those. So Matt said, no, no worries. I'll I'll come up with, give me me 15 minutes and I'll come up with something else. (laughs) And sure enough, I think... I've never gotten it from Matt, but that's the rumor that has it. He came up with this idyllic family, kind of looking at the way that he was raised. And you had Father Knows Best and, you know, Donna Reed and like a perfect- Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. And yes, with their own uh, Dennis the Menace. And he just kind of created this idyllic family in idyllic Springfield, which was one of the most popular names of any town USA. And there's even Springfields in Europe, from what I understand. But he put that together, pitched it back to Jim. Jim loved it, and we were off, we were off and running. And so it started out kind of like as a pilot on mm-hmm. The Simpsons, but we started getting more fan mail than Tracy Ullman's show did. So the lights went on, and that was it. We're going to be a half hour. And that's what kicked it off. And then, bada-bing, 34 years later, here we are. <laughs> Exactly, and that, and just your little two cent version of the fourteen dollars and ninety five cent version that's there in the audiobook. You need to listen to the audiobook because what the show went through, even just to be able to get your own um, studio that had oh oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> was yeah. an amazing story no. just in and of itself. <laughs> We're recording up here. I think that's chapter in that chapter three. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. I was pregnant at the time. My water broke. Okay, I'm not going to give away anything else. You, you, you've got to listen for yourself. Yeah, listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what other types of, of tips do you have then for the aspiring artists 
meaning writer or illustrator. I mean, you've got those six steps. And if you say just yeah. those six steps, stick to it. You know, it's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's totally fine. But if you have any other things that like, because you're, you're an artist now and you've yeah. experienced people going, oh, that's really cool or, boy, you should just stick with your voiceover, you know, where you can have that type of stuff. So any particular comments or direction about that? Because uh, I'm warming you up for, for next April when I'm going to, I'm going to hogtie you and carry you in the back of my van to the workshop and have you teach these kids. <laughs> well, okay. So one thing that I can think of that I would think would be crucial was that if you are a writer, you should be writing every day. I mean, it's it just, you, you, you should have a schedule and you should have a space. You should, you should designate an area in your house that is just like off this is off limits for anybody else in my family or, you know, roommates or whatever you're in and you dedicate it. And if you can do it at a certain time every day, if your lifestyle, if, you know, if it can go that way, if you could just do it, start at nine in the morning and just go from nine until 12, or even if you can only do an hour a day, just keep doing it dedicatedly, professionally doing it, show up, don't be late for your own appointment. Make sure the dog and the cat are in the other room. Make sure you're well fed. <laughs> you had a good night's sleep, and it's like, and then and then just stick to it. And eventually, if you do so many words a day, I'm telling you, you will finish the job. If you don't do that, you're just going to you're going to drag the whole thing out for years and years. You know, that's that's one piece of advice that right. I can give. Yeah. But there are about maybe three or four things in that one thing. So just. I'll, I'll take notes for when I want to come help you out someday. Um, okay. <laughs> so now we've already got 10. Okay. Um, another piece of advice. Let's see. Gee whiz, read. Uh, read other people's works. Look how, look, look what, keep up with what's going on. Be current. Be current with new works that are coming out. And I think that would be the same with, with an artist because you can go to a, exhibition and galleries I think galleries are opening up now and see seeing other people's work you can go online and look them up it's in the convenience of your own home look what other mm -hmm. people do are doing and see you're you're an artist you've already done I've, I've seen your painting I've seen your sculptures I've seen images of that stuff so obviously you've had whatever curve you've you've got a, ma a massive career and then you've picked up and you've done painting, you've done sculpting, and you've yeah. written one of the episodes for The Simpsons. So you took you, you worked out how to do that and did it. It's like it's I don't know amazing. how I did that. How did I do okay, that? Okay, let's go back then just to the to the painting and the, and the sculpting. Don't don't chop me off there saying I don't know how to do that either because you had to have known what you did there. Well, you did actually, it no, you're up in major displays. No, no, no. Well, okay, but I I can tell you a little bit about The Simpsons and working on that and the yeah. pitch, and then you know I pitched the show and we come up with a with an agreement about what my show is because I had a concept. I went in to pitch it, you know, like. I just knew the story and I just pitched the story. And by the end, great, we got a deal. But I'm one, uh, there are 20 writers on The Simpsons. And for me to go in, that's not the way that that, that machine works. I am now entering into a family of writers that work together, men and women that work together. And I felt like I'm the brand new kid on the block. And I mm -hmm. was sat there and I just remember watching the procedure on how they did it. And it was so interesting to me. I just had no idea how these writers, because you see one, sometimes two names when you watch the show written by 
you know, right. written by Al Jean or written by Al Jean and Mike Reese. It's like, wow, okay, so how did they do that? How do you work with a partner as a writer? And then how did how did Al write this all by himself or Carolyn O'Meany or Tim Long or wh- whatever writer? So now I'm going to find out. And they started taking what I wrote and enhance. I'm just going to say, I'm telling you, they enhanced it. They changed it. They manipulated it. They made the, they did it line by line, John. It was an amazing procedure. And I just sat there because I felt like I've never done this before. I'm the new kid on the block. I'm just going to see how this works. So that's how they did it. And Every time they would throw out a, he would say, let's scroll down there, line number four, it's Marge's line, blah, 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 blah. And um, somebody says, oh, I have an idea. And they threw out to, to replace that line. He came up with a substance, an alternate. I'm, I'm the only one, I'm cracking up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love, oh, okay, I better be quiet here. I'm the only one laughing. So this would happen a couple of times and find, they make a de- Al makes the decision. He's the showrunner. He makes the final decision. Great, we're going to take that one. Secretary's making all the notes. And after about a half hour, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever, I, I decide, okay, I think I need to pipe up. I can't, I can't sit in my seat anymore. I need to pipe up here. So I made a suggestion guess what happened? Nobody laughed. No, no, (laughs) nobody laughed. It was dead. And I went, oh, I guess I'm officially a writer on The Simpsons. (laughs) Anyway, that's how, that's how, that's how we do that there. You know, it was just, Mm -hmm. they took my story and also working on feature films, you know, I wrote a script. It started as a one woman show called In Search of Fellini. And wrote that, did it as a one-woman show that kind of piloted it. But a lot of people said, you should do this as a film. I'm thinking, I'm not a writer. This was back in 80, 80, uh, 95 that I did it as a one-woman show. And actually collaborated with someone. And again, this was a re- based on something that was real life that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And my input was, couldn't have written without it. It was my, my idea. I lived it. And I go off to Italy. Um, I studied Fellini's work in my acting class, and my teacher says, "What are you going to do now?" And I said, "I think I want to develop this as a as a feature, as a um, as a play, as a stage play. I think I want to go meet him. I want to find Fellini." So I went off. I actually found out where his office was. My the owner of the I was with a very reputable one of the top three talent agencies in Hollywood. The one one thing that he had that he helped me with was um, <laughs> the fact that he also represented Federico Fellini. So I found that out, but didn't go there. I wanted to kind of experience Italy. So I ate, drank, fell in love. And eventually by the time I got home, I had had such a wild experience that I realized that my story was better to tell because it was mine. It wasn't a rewrite of, of La Strada that Fellini had won my heart you know, playing this little character, Gelsamina. So again, it's like I say, write, write what you know. Don't, don't try to duplicate somebody else's vision, but you best to write what you know and what you love. So yeah. then 20 years later, did it as a feature film, and it just like worked on that and found out a lot of things about filmmaking that I had no idea. It's, it's very collaborative. It was yeah. very interesting to me. Just as a point on this, when I... Announced, I announced on, on social media that I was going to be doing this interview with you and asked if we has any, 
any questions. And uh, one person, Neil Springer, who you may know, just oh yeah, he's, he said, Nancy, have you ever met Fre- Federico Fellini? So did you ever <laughs> find up meeting him? Oh, John, <laughs> no, I'm not giving that one away. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you need All to right. you need to down you need to rent the movie on Amazon. <laughs> You'll find out. Okay, good. So there you go, Neil. There's your answer. So um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you some of the other questions that came in as well, because I have some great questions that came in from folks. So this is from Don Ray Ammon, who um, has a science fiction convention up in, uh, in Utah. So she just asked, what is a workaday like for her when they're doing the voice recordings? How often do you have to come back to record, uh, re-record the bits? Yeah. Um, it's changed quite a bit in the past couple of years, understandably. Um, yeah. We used well. We have all of us have um, studio set setups at our home, um, but things opened up a, a bit, and I prefer to go in and do the recordings right at, at 20th Century Fox. We're still located, even though Disney now owns the entire library of The Simpsons and all of Fox except for Sports and News, I believe. That it's still on the lot, and I would know not. I wouldn't know any different. You know, it's still right. run the same way by the same um, production company, which is Gracie Gracie Productions. So I just drive in and do that. But the table reads prior to doing the record, we will do a a reading of the script, and that's all done from our respective homes mm-hmm. or offices if people are are in an, in an office. But they're from our homes on Zoom, and there's like 70, 75 people there. But the only face is that everybody's off picture. There, there's no video going on uh, except for the artists. And I guess they want to see our faces because the, the directors are there. And when I say director, it's the director of animation, not the director of the actors uh, of the voice talent. There also is a director for us. But the person that gets credited as director on The Simpsons is like David Silverman, or they direct all the animators. Anyway, right. we we do a reading of it from our respective homes, and um, that's very convenient, uh, but I still like to go in. And we do 22 episodes a year, so it's not even one every two weeks. It's kind of, they, they've got them spread out in a about a 10-month, so it's about two a month. It's, it's two, a little bit more than... It's around two a month. And then the other months that we're not recording original shows, we're still doing post-production. So I have to go back into the studio and um, record pickup lines, which are the Simpsons is their, their standard is so incredibly high. It's, it's beautiful. It truly is. And that, that adds to what you had said before about, you know, about the writing and about the um, satire, you know, Mm -hmm. is it, is it the, 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 the qualification standard, it's to me, it's remained as high now as it was at the very beginning. And I love that. So that keeps a, keeps it very standard and keeps it very persistent. And also, depending upon the writing, I mean, you can, the writing sometimes is Homer can, in, in some seasons, he's more of an idiot than in other seasons. And how he is right now, I think he's so funny right now. Early on, it's like when we had a changing of the showrunner, it sort of changed the viewpoint of how they saw Homer, and he started to become the the lead of the show a little bit more than how Bart was at the very beginning. Plus, he's just yeah. like, I think there's more humor for him because he's just, because he's the dad. He's had more life experiences, and Bart's just kind of learning. <laughs> After 34 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I got two last questions that came in. So this is from Sarah Page Wells. I understand you're a painter also, Nancy. Yeah. And when did you take that art form up? You know, I didn't know that I could do this. I waited. I was, I was, was I a grandmother already? I think I, no, I wasn't quite a grandmother yet, but it was late in my life that I started painting. And I, I'd, I'd been inspired by someone and somebody wanted to shoot a film. Is it, 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 it's, it's a little bit heavy. I, I, it, it's, a, it's a little heavy. I don't mind talking about it, but to me, it was it's like, like a human rights type of a kind of message, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was inspired that she had lost her daughter, who was the same age as my own daughter at the time, um, because she had lost her daughter to a... It was, it was truly an accident, but it was an overdose of a prescription... Um, antidepressant. And she's in my living room along with a whole, about four or five other women with the same situation. And I was behind the camera just listening to them. And I was so moved by it. And we became friends. And then she got an award and we just stayed in touch. And then I started at the same time, I was just kind of learning how to paint and using these masters like Andy Warhol and Van Gogh and Picasso. I was doing derivative art of what they had done originally and painting in a style that's very unusual called reverse, reverse painting, which is the style that was originally used for animation where you would have a sketch, a rough idea of a, of a scene and the inkers would, would um, trace that onto animation celluloid, which is very, very thin film. So they would trace it and then flip it over to not, the, the ink would blend into the paint and ruin it. So they would paint on the reverse side, but they would have to paint backwards, like painting the pupil of the eye first and then the, 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 the iris cornea. of the, yeah, the oh, cornea the and then do the face on top of that. So you, on the backside, you don't even see the eye because you would paint on top of previous paint. I does that in my, it's pretty yeah. hard to describe, but then when you flip it over, one, on the original side, it looks like uh, just kind of a mishmash of colors. But when you flip it over, it's like, oh, whoa. And people Instagram me. I think I've got some samples of that that you can kind of get an idea. But I thought, oh, my gosh, I want to do this style. I want to create this. This is kind of in my roots with animation along it, with, from the same tree. I mean, I'm an apple, and those are the roots. So I started Good. doing that and I do it on acrylic and it's kind of risky because the, the, it's not like oil painting where you can paint and you, you can correct that easily. Well, it takes long to dry, but it, this is not very forgiving at all. But I've, I've got a whole collection of, geez, I've got, I've got this collection called No More About Drugs and I've got a whole alliance. It's a nonprofit, uh, I rented billboards in Los Angeles in 2019, and I've got this whole alliance that that promotes educating parents who are con confused and are not quite sure what to believe on the internet. So if you go mm -hmm. to my website, you're introduced to these medication guides that's put out there by the Food and Drug Administration, and you can find out the egregious side effects of drugs that are prescribed to children. And it shows some of these this, parents, they just don't even know about these med guides. So the, the website itself is an educational website. I don't really, 
don't, my, my viewpoint is people need to know. And so it's no more about drugs and you can, you, you should find out for yourself and not just listen to somebody who you consider your opinion leader, whether it's a doctor or, or a nurse or a neighbor or something, you should truly find out for yourself. So the website is called what? No more about drugs.org. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right. So one last question. This is from Candace Lyle. Okay. What is your favorite story about bursting into the Bart Simpson voice on unsuspecting people? Oh. I figured that'd be a, that, this would be a good ending question. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I don't know how I would ever top this. Well, actually, I could, never mind. I, I could think of a couple. <laughs> this one's my favorite one because it's the first one that happened. It was just very improvisational. It was just something I saw this kid selling chocolate at a mall. You know, he was trying to earn, sell the most so that he could take a field trip with the school, with that class mm -hmm. or whatever. And I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go inside. You're going to get me on the way out. I promise. So I came out and I just started chatting with this guy and you can find it. And I don't, not to give it away. It is to me, you see the penny drop when he recognizes who I am and you just see it on camera, but you look up Nancy Cartwright slash 13 year old boy. And it'll take you right to the, it went viral. It just, it went, it went viral on whatever it was, Facebook or, yeah. Facebook, Facebook. or Twitter or whatever. Yeah, Facebook. Oh, that's great. I treasure it. I treasure it. <laughs> I can still watch and go, oh man, that's too much. And then just one story, because we're definitely over an hour, but there's one story that you also told too at the, uh, not the Grammys. It was the, it was some awards show. Oh, um, where you were, it was the Emmys. It was the Emmys. Emmys. Okay. Yeah. Good. Wait a minute. Are you talking about it was walking down the When steps. you were walking the red carpet yeah, and people, I had to, oh, they didn't know who you were, like who is this person? And you were trying to Nancy Carter and they wouldn't announce you because oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. then when you went up on stage. Yeah. I love that. That was yeah, like the that great was, ending. Yeah, I mean I had my my publicist was there and they kept saying this is Nancy Carter, she's the voice of Bart Simpson. No, 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 we've got no, it's 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 Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, and they go Angelina, and I'm like hi, hi, I'm Nancy Cara, and no, 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 I'm sorry, excuse me, you need to go, you need to go on that line. I I do the whole detail on that and in the book too. That was yeah, that was kind of like interesting about what it means to be an anonymous celebrity, because there's no doubt about it. I mean Bart, the Simpsons, they're iconic, and a whole career, my whole career, plus six more years in front of that. It's like yeah. But but I'm not recognized. I can go anywhere and nobody will know who I am. And to be honest with you, John, this is this was a really good decision that I made. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I get the best of, I get the I get the bling packages. I get all the swag without all the paparazzi. <laughs> Which is great. You can live your life still. Yeah. Which paparazzi, by the way, came from a Fellini movie. Look it up. Wow. Did you know that? know that? Yeah. I did not. <laughs> I did not, for sure. Well, this has been, as I knew what happened, you know, we just, this, we motored through this hour plus. Awesome. Plus, plus. This has been <laughs> exactly. a pleasure. Man, we covered every gamut here. This was incredible. I know. It's really good. And this will be great for all the aspiring writers and artists listening to this, too. Well, good so deal. I, I so appreciate it. Yes. Well, you are so welcome. It's a pleasure, John. A real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. 
Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Nancy. You are so welcome.